Hi everyone, we're here with Dr. Patrick Schreiner, who's a professor of New Testament Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of The Ascension of Christ, which we're going to talk about today, as well as he's, he's also written Matthew, Disciple, and Scribe, uh, The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross and the Body of Jesus. And he's currently working on a commentary on Acts. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Longest project yet. And he, he was the podcast co-host of Food Trucks in Babylon, which is a great podcast you should check out. And he got his PhD from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky. Uh, Dr. Schreiner, do you want to introduce yourself more or add to that? Well, it's just great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we just moved to Kansas City, Missouri. First time we've lived here about, uh, a little, about two months ago now. Uh, or maybe just under that. And so we're settling here at Midwestern and really enjoying it here. And so I get to teach New Testament and biblical theology and um, love it. It's great. I get to talk about the Bible and read about the Bible and talk to students about the Bible and struggle and uh, over things. And I really enjoy writing. So it's, it's been fun to be here and I'm excited for the future. But um, yeah, and talk about the Ascension. I wrote a small book on it. And so hoping that a lot of people can pick it up just partially because of its length. It's nice and short. Yeah, for sure. What's the difference between Kansas City and being in, in Oregon? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of differences. Um, one of the things I keep mentioning is that Kansas City is a very spread out city, while Portland is a more dense city. And so the first thing I notice is that actually the um, population isn't that different between the two, but that it's just much more spread out. So there's a lot more land. Um, and you do a lot more driving. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in Kansas City. But uh, obviously, Kansas City has the four seasons, while Portland also only has the two seasons, which is pretty much the wet season and the dry season. So we're going to get used to it. We're from Kentucky, though, and we're, we're used to this type of weather. So uh, we're excited about the four seasons. going to get a spring and a fall. Yeah, that's going to be nice. In Texas, we also only have hot and cold, and that's about it. No that's fall. It. Yep, yep. That's great. Like you said, you know, The Ascension is it's a really great book because it's only like a little over 100 pages. But could you introduce um, the book a little bit? Uh, maybe what got you thinking about it and what got you like thinking of writing it? And yeah. 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 So a few years ago, this actually kind of grew out of my Acts commentary. I was asked to write a commentary on Acts and I have I've never like worked scholarly on Acts, but um Someone asked me to start doing Acts, and so I started working on the project, and the first thing you hit when you come to Acts 1 is the Ascension of Christ, right after the intro, basically. That's one Acts 1, 9 through 11. And I was also in pastoral ministry at the time, and so I was tasked to preach at the church as I was kind of going through my own beginning studies of Acts. And I kept looking at the Ascension and thinking, man, this is a really important event that I haven't thought a lot about, and it became pretty foundational for how I framed Acts as a whole. I think it's actually the foundation upon which Acts is built. And so because I was so affected by it in my own study, and I'd picked up a few books on the side of people who had written on it, I thought, you know, I should preach on the Ascension because I'm really excited about it. And I feel like if I'm not thinking about it, probably other people aren't thinking about it as well. So I preached a sermon on it. And basically, actually, the outline of the sermon ended up more or less being the outline of this book. I added, you know, the final chapter on theology and kind of did some reasons the ascension is neglected and reasons we shouldn't. So I added that, but the three points of prophet, priest, and king was actually part of the sermon that I did. And so this book grew out of a sermon, actually, I preached. And then as I continued to think through it, as I did my commentary, I just continued to reflect on it. And then 
um, I met up with a guy from Lexham Press, Derek Brown, and he said, what are you working on right now? And I said, well, I'm working on this commentary on Acts, but I've been doing a lot on the Ascension. And he said, well, why don't you write a, a short book for us on it? And I, I thought that'd be really fun. So I, I, it's kind of a side project of my Acts commentary, but uh, it was really fun. So that's kind of the history of it. And you mentioned a little bit about why the Ascension is neglected, but could you dive into that a little deeper? I yeah. You give like five reasons in the book if you want to like talk about a few of those. Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons in this Ascension is neglected that uh, at least I thought in my own mind that I recognize when I come to the New Testament is that it seems like the Bible doesn't speak about it a lot. Uh, you guys said you're studying Mark, I think right now. And so at the end of Mark, the end of Matthew, and the end of John, you don't really have an ascension. You just have it at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. So you kind of think, hey, if this thing's so important, why is it only narrated in one of the Gospels? And it just doesn't seem to get a lot of time. And in one sense, it's only narrated, I think, in a total of like five to six verses in the whole Bible, just in terms of what happens at Jesus's ascent at the end of Luke 24 there in the beginning of Acts 1. So it, it seems like the Bible just speaks very little about it. And so I think we overlook it because of that. The second reason I said is because it seems like a bad plan. And this is one that I really focused on when I preached on it. And I think for my listeners, this one will probably connect to you the most. Uh, you know, the resurrection is good news because Jesus came back from the dead. <laughs> like, I think if you're exploring Christianity or you're a Christian already, you're like, the resurrection makes sense. Like dying is a bad thing. Living is a good thing. Resurrection is a good thing. But the ascension, honestly, it's a little bit like, why did that need to happen? Like, why did he leave? Why not set up his kingdom on the earth now? It's really convenient for Christians to be like, yeah, Jesus is this king, but we can't see him now. And there are people who are like, well, why can't we see him now? Well, the answer is because he's ascended into the heavens. And so it seems like a bad plan in the sense of we're not really sure why Jesus had to do this. Like, why did he need to ascend to the heavens? Why couldn't have he set, set up his kingdom on the earth at that point after he had raised from the dead. And, and from a modern standpoint, I would just add to that, that it's a weird thing, like that Jesus floated up into the air, into the sky, and that he left. Like what happened when he left our atmosphere? What happened to his body at that point? Does he still have a body um, from like a modern scientific viewpoint like do we have to enter a black hole to find the heavens like where where is jesus right now and what is he doing and so for for all of those reasons i think maybe the ascension is just kind of pushed off to the side it's a metaphor i like to use is it sits at the end of the couch and no one's really talking about it while the resurrection the death the life the birth the incarnation of jesus gets all of the kind of everyone wants to talk to them and say wow you're you're such an important event but the ascension kind of gets off because maybe we don't really know what to do with it. And so part of what I wanted to do is just honestly put this doctrine, this event in front of us and say, actually, this is a, a key moment in Christ's work. And we know it's a key moment, uh, not just because of what the scriptures say, because I'll, I'll return to what the scriptures say about it, but every single early creed and confession has a separate line about Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. So that was huge for me just to see like early Christians were saying like, we don't want to just talk about his life, just about his death, just about his resurrection, but we need to include the ascension. And so a big part of my book is just to say, why is it so important? How is it so important? What is Jesus doing now? Yeah, that's really good. I really loved the the parts in the chapters about prophet, priest, and king where you, where you connected 
Jesus's ascension to the Old Testament. So real quick, do you want to maybe explain how, particularly in Daniel 7, because that just affects our understanding of the Son of Man terminology and language in the New Testament, but just how do, you can mention other uh, Old Testament passages as well, but how does Daniel 7 or some of those other ones affect our understanding of Jesus's ascension? Yeah. And maybe backing up, I'll just say, you know, one of the reasons I said that we neglect is it seems like the Bible speaks a little of it. But what I recognized in coming to the book is, as you're hinting at, that actually there's a ton of Old Testament texts that do speak to it. And the New Testament speaks about Jesus and his exaltation or his glorification, which the New Testament authors seem to refer to as his resurrection and ascension. But many times when we think exaltation, we might just think of the resurrection. And so I actually don't think it's true that the New Testament nor the Old Testament doesn't speak a lot about it. It's just they don't use that word ascension. Does that make sense? So like they just don't use that word. So so it's like the word concept fallacy, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you'll search for, is this an important topic? And you'll search if you have like a Bible program or you just search on Google, how many times does it say ascension in the New Testament? Like never. It hardly ever says ascension. But that's not a good way to study because they're always referring back to the concept of the ascension in different terms. However, having said that, you know, in Acts and in Luke, you get kind of a, uh, a pretty bare, what I'd call historical reporting of what happened when Jesus ascended. And so you have the disciples on the earth staring up into heaven and the angels come down and say, why are you staring to heaven? Like he, he went away and he's going to come back in the same way. You need to get on with your task in terms of what you're supposed to do. And so we're, we're left a little bit in Acts wondering what's the theology of the ascension? Like what, back to my original question, why is this, a, why is this good news? <laughs> why is it good news that he left? Why is this a good plan? And we find out from those Old Testament texts why it's a good plan. So Daniel 7, I think it's 13, 14, like 15 area, it is such an important text because Daniel sees a vision. And this is where we get the language of the son of man where this son of man, and this is what it says in Daniel 7, 13, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man, the term that Jesus uses for himself when he's upon the earth in the gospels, was coming with the clouds of heaven. Now what, clouds of heaven, son of man, this is Acts 1, like the clouds of heaven take Jesus up. And what happens after he comes with the clouds of heaven? Well, he comes to heaven to the Ancient of Days, who is Yahweh, God himself, the Father, and was escorted before him. The imagery that Daniel's using here is the coronation of a king, that there's one that is exalted. Inauguration Day is coming up relatively soon. Whoever's selected, elected as president, right, is going to be coronated, put their hand upon the Bible, sworn in. That's what's happening in Daniel 7.13, that there's this one like the Son of Man who goes up with the clouds of heaven and he approaches the throne, the Ancient of Days, and to him was given dominion, a glory, a kingdom, so that all nations, every people might serve him. And if you know the wider context of Daniel 7, it's the beasts of the earth, the kingdoms of the nations, Greece, Rome, Persia, all, all these different nations, Babylon, want to ascend to that throne, want to be sovereign over the whole earth. But no, it's only one, the Son of Man, who gets to ascend. So this is what I'd like to say, the authorization, the endorsement, the coronation of Jesus the King. So if I could just put it really simply, I've been talking in circles now. If Jesus does not ascend, he is not crowned as the King of the universe. 
that's how important the ascension is. The resurrection affirms that Jesus lives forever. The ascension affirms that he reigns forever. If Jesus does not ascend, he is not king of the universe. And that means Christianity doesn't exist. Like that's how important it is, which I'm not trying to say it's more important than the resurrection or it's more important than his life or it's more important than his death or anything like that. If the incarnation didn't exist, we don't have Jesus here on the earth. We are stuck in our sins. If the death of Jesus didn't exist, we are still stuck in our sins at the same time. So you could say that about all those things, but at the same time, we need to get very specific and say the the ascension is very good news because he has been given, as Daniel 7 says, an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Now, right now it's hidden because he's in the heavens. But why is it in the heavens? Well, the heavens is both a real real place and a symbolic place in terms of it, it symbolizes that Jesus reigns over heaven and earth. He's not just an earthly king. He's a heavenly king, which means his supremacy stretches from horizon to horizon. His scepter spans the universe like that's that's the that's that's the amazing thing about his kingship so the heavenly kingship of jesus shouldn't make us say oh man i really wish it was upon the earth we do wish it was upon the earth in terms of him coming back but we recognize that right now he's still ruling and reigning over all and this is where can i go to another text really quick i know i'm talking a lot but you know you guys have me on to talk so i'm going to keep yeah. talking no go yeah. for it this is great so, so this is where psalm 110 1 um, one of the most quoted texts and all actually the most quoted text in the New Testament where it says, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is a key text for understanding what happened. What happened when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father? Well, the father, the ancient days said, sit at my right hand, rule and reign until the final climax comes. So that, those were the words that were spoken to him. We could also look at Psalm 2 as well. I think that's a resurrection slash ascension type psalm. And then you have Psalms of Ascent as well, if, if you've ever preached through those or heard those preached through, through uh, in your church. So the Old Testament, you asked the question about what Old Testament texts come to mind. I could go to other ones, but the Old Testament really fills out what happened at the ascension, that Daniel 7 text. Connect that with Acts 1, and then you see what did it say in Daniel 7? All nations, all peoples are going to serve him. And where does he send them to? All nations. That, that's the story of Acts, right? They go out to all nations. And so those two texts are so tied together. I'm a New Testament prof, but I'm always telling my students, read the Old Testament. You can't get the New Testament without the Old Testament or the Old Testament without the New Testament. The two come together and you must read them together. And I always push, push on actually the Old Testament more because I think it's harder for us to read. The New Testament just comes a little easier to most Christians. The Old Testament, so far ago, so long ago, ancient Near Eastern culture, we don't know what to do with, but we we have to engage with it to understand these type of things. So there you go. Just to connect this real quick to what Jesus is up to today, I liked when you were talking about Elijah and Elisha, and you said only because Elisha had witnessed Elijah ascend and only because he had taken up his coat did the prophetic spirit come on Elisha. And kind of the same picture of only because Jesus ascended, did we get the spirit that he talks about in John 16? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So that comes from second Kings two. And uh, again, I was just, I think I was actually just reading through my like typical Bible plan. And I came to second Kings two, where you have Elijah ascending to the heavens with this chariot and the fire, right? It's this really strange story. And Elisha says, uh, he's, he's there to watch him actually. And Elijah says to him, 
you will not receive a double portion of my spirit unless you watch me ascend. <laughs> and I'm studying the ascension. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Like, this is exactly what happens when the disciples are on the earth and they're watching him ascend to the heavens. And then what happens right after that? A descent, a descent of the spirit. And so now we're starting to engage with the theology of Acts that these people are, are the new temple community, yes, but they're also they're the new prophets who have the double portion of Jesus' spirit. And then you think about the Gospel of John. This is exactly what Jesus says in John. He goes, uh, guess what? It's better if I go away because if I don't go away, you won't receive the helper. And the helper is going to come and help you. He's going to be your advocate, so forth and so on. And he says, explicitly says, it's better if you have the spirit in the same way Elisha got a double portion of Christ's spirit, which in terms of like practicality, I don't want to just talk about theology. We post Pentecost have a double portion of Christ's spirit. Like that's amazing reality. That's why John can say, Jesus in John can say, you will do greater works than I do upon the earth. I've always been very confused by that text, but the ascension actually begins to make sense of it. We receive the spirit and we go out and we do what Christ did. We become, and this is where, where we, we, we kind of enter into that topic about Christ as our prophet. How does he continue to act as the prophet? Well, he empowers his witnesses to proclaim the word of God, to do signs and wonders, to be filled with his spirit, to go out and continue to basically continue in that temple construction project. And I think that's kind of like what you're alluding to, but um, go a little bit more into, I guess, how understanding the ascension is critical to implications of what Christ is doing today uh, between his first and second comings. Yeah. So the way I like to frame this is just to acknowledge that we like to speak about what Jesus has done and what he will do. He has, and it, we should talk about those things. Not that we shouldn't. What Jesus has done is in the gospels, right? Like those are, I study the gospels. They're like my main bread and butter. I love the gospels and what he will do. I mean, you read first and second Thessalonians, he's going to come back, establish his kingdom, revelation, inaugurate the new heavens and new earth. We're excited about that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? But we forget to talk about what Jesus is doing now. Did he go? up to heaven to just kind of wait and twiddle his fingers and be like, Hey, uh, father, like, when is this thing going to be over? When are you going to put all enemies at my footstool? No, in that worldview to ascend to a throne, to sit upon a seat of power was to rule and to reign. So then the question becomes in what way does he rule and reign? Well, I think we get a sense of what Jesus is doing now by looking at that prophet, priest, and king lens. So if Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king upon the earth, then he continues to be a prophet, priest, and king in heaven. But I would actually argue, based on the language in John, when Jesus says, it's better if I go away, he's actually the better prophet, the better priest, and the better king now that he's in heaven. So it's not like he ascends into heaven and it's like, oh, we really wish you were back and that it would be much better if you were back here on the earth. And honestly, like at a very visceral level, I think we all really wish that Jesus was here on the earth or that we were walking around with him on the earth like the disciples were. I mean, so I don't know if you guys have watched like the newest Jesus TV show with The Chosen, but I actually really love that show because it gives it a very realistic picture of uh, maybe what that it was like to be with Jesus. And I think my kids are like, man, 
We just wish Jesus was here. And that's a good desire because we do wish Jesus was here, but we still have to believe that it's better that he went away at the same time. We can want Jesus to be here and wish, know that it's better that he goes away. So why is it better? Because he continues to act in a better way as our prophet, priest, and king. So I already mentioned this just briefly, but in terms of the prophet, we've already said, how is it better that he goes away? Well, we don't receive the spirit in the same way unless he ascends. And that means it's good news that he ascends. And that means by the empowerment of the spirit, we can therefore proclaim the word of God in a way that we weren't able to before, that we are empowered in a new way, which I think if you just look at the disciples in the gospels, there is some success of their ministry there. They go out, they cast out demons, but there's also some like hesitation. And then you come to Acts and they're like just preaching, people are being saved. There's persecution, certainly, but they're suddenly empowered in a new way to go out and build God's church. And that's what we're called to do. And so ultimately, Christ is still acting as our prophet, but we're now the prophets upon the earth. So the ascension not only authorizes Jesus's work, but it actually amplifies and multiplies his prophetic work. He's actually the better prophet now that he has ascended. And now I've completely forgotten your question and don't know if I've answered it, but maybe, maybe I did. No, that's great because I was actually going to ask you about how the how the ascension affects our mission today. So that's really good thinking about the spirit. So just in terms of like me going out tomorrow and sharing the gospel with somebody in my class or uh, somebody sharing the gospel with their coworker, how how does the ascension really just affect them proclaiming the gospel in the day to day? Yeah, I mean, there's a few like theological things that I would say, and and then maybe a few practical things I'd say. Theologically, number one, I'd say because of the ascension, you have a Lord to proclaim. You don't, you don't even have a message without the ascension. So at the most basic level, what are you proclaiming to people? And I think it's good to remind ourselves, we forget like the devil is so cunning to get us off the main message. Like one of the main things that the devil will, will do is really get us confused about what we're proclaiming. But what are we proclaiming? We are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is king of the universe and that we have submitted to him and that he is calling all people to submit to him. And by doing that, you will actually have life both now and in eternity. So you are calling them to actually a better life now, even though it includes suffering and in the future, because we recognize Jesus is the good king. So as we preach this message to other people, we are proclaiming to them, you have sinned, you have turned your back on this king, and he is actually welcoming you back by his death, resurrection, and ascension, and he is reigning, ruling over all, and will come back one day and judge the living and the dead, and you need to pledge your allegiance to him now, or else he, you will be judged, and he is welcoming you into that family, and that's our basic message. So in terms of our mission, the ascension is huge for our mission, just in terms of Proclaim, proclaiming that Jesus is king. The other thing that I mentioned in terms of theologically why it's so important is because we can now call all people, uh, and, and this might get a little confusing in terms of like the Bible story, but there is something about the ascension that actually brings us into the new era of calling all people to submit to Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, he was labeled the king of the Jews, but now he is the king of all peoples because he has ascended to the heavens. Now, this is where it gets confusing, right? He's the son of God as well. He's always been the king of all peoples. He's always been rule, the ruler and reigner of all people. But there's something different at the ascension because he's the God man. He's the God man who rules and reigns. And now he's calling all nations to come and submit to him. So you have to follow the biblical storyline 
of Yahweh choosing Israel, Abraham in, in Genesis 12, to be a blessing to the nations. That blessing to the nations, you get hints of it throughout the Bible as you go on, but it doesn't actually fully launch as a mission like now go until after the ascension. So the person you're looking at who is a Gentile or from uh, North Africa or from South Africa or from, from, from Japan, you can, they might say to you, hey, that's not the God that we worship. We have other gods that we worship. And actually that was true in the Old Testament. And you look at them and say, well, guess what? The God that we worship is actually the God of all gods and there's a king of all kings. And so it is the one that you must worship actually. And so in terms of like the worldwide scope of our mission, both the kingship and the worldwide scope come together. And then at a more practical level, I would just say, um, you know, we look throughout Acts and we see that people are empowered with the spirit of Jesus to speak the words of Jesus. As we come before people with this message, many times we think, did I say it right? Did I say heresy? Did I even explain it clearly? Like what's happening? And sometimes our mind can be so attack us in terms of like, what do we say? But remember the promise as you come before people, this is Luke 21. I think it is. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, as you are brought before others, I will give you the words to speak. I will give you words to say. So the ascension is good news, partially because we have the spirit and the spirit will give us words to say. And, and I think, I mean, I was on college campus ministry doing a lot of evangelism. I remember sharing the gospel with people and, you know, it was like probably the, the worst gospel presentation ever. And then they'd be like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like I totally messed this up. But like the, the Lord speaks through our words and that can be a huge encouragement. So I could say a lot more and I'm happy for you guys to pitch back, but I think it gives us great encouragement in going out, sharing our faith, going on mission. No, that's really good. I think building off of that, um, and also like w one of my favorite parts of the book was when you talked about how um, having a heavenly um, inter intercession from Christ uh, directly to God, like how great that was compared to, you know, an earthly intercession, how they had an Old Testament um, with Old Testament priests. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about like, as we're talking about uh, sharing the gospel and, and sharing our beliefs with others, um, like some advice on like, uh, I would say having healthy conversations with people who have other like beliefs or other worldviews, such as uh, potentially like a Catholic friend who might believe in more of a, a, a earthly priest interceding for them uh, for their sins. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, we're transitioning here from the kind of prophetic worth work of Jesus to the priestly work of Jesus. And the thing that I like to identify in terms of what is Jesus doing now, we get this in Romans eight and then you get uh, Hebrews that he's interceding for us at the right hand of the father. So we've been speaking about the ascension, how he goes to the father. Now, what is he doing? Well, we're going to get to the kingship piece, but as the priest, he, he presents his blood and then he intercedes for his people. He cries out for them. He prays for them. He represents them. If you know the imagery in the old Testament, you have the priest who has the jewels upon his chest of the 12 tribes of Israel and upon his shoulders. And in the same way he represents and intercedes for his people, he represents them. He says, these are my people and I will, I am for them. I am for them. And that's the best intercession that we can have because it's the right hand of the father. It's in heaven. Like he will listen to his son as he intercedes. And so in terms of encouragement, that's huge. Now that doesn't cancel out our intercession for one another because it's actually really clear in the scriptures that we are to intercede and pray not only for one another in the church, but even for governors. This is first Timothy two for kings, for those in high positions, that we are to intercede for them. So in one sense, the intercession 
the intercession of Christ actually emboldens and empowers our own intercession. We are supposed to imitate him in this intercession. But he, we have to remember he is the ultimate intercessor. So if you're coming from different traditions, the Catholic tradition might have more emphasis upon uh, the priest who is interceding for you now and not as much on Christ who intercedes for you. But you have to always, the only authority that a priest in a Catholic system has is based on the authority of Christ. So if they're acknowledging that, that's good. But sometimes the Catholic tradition will go a little further than I'm comfortable with. On the other side of it, though, you have the Protestant tradition, who it feels like maybe we sometimes never emphasize the authority that we have based on our priest, that we can intercede for others based on our priest's, priest's intercession for us. And so you have those kind of two poles, and what we need to do is come to the middle and recognize we have an ultimate priest, and therefore we are empowered to actually intercede for others. We're not the main ones interceding. It's based on Christ and his blood and his intercession, but he actually helps us to intercede for others. And so in terms of practicality, what do we go out and do? Well, we go out and we be priests to the world. We welcome people into the temple. <laughs> the church isn't the temple, but the temple people, right? And we say, grow here. And this is the place where you can call out to God and we can intercede for one another because we have a high priest who is interceding for us. So again, I'm happy for you to ask more questions on that. But I do think we, we have a role of intercession now. We have the role I've talked about in the book as priests, as presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God, Romans 12, 1. That's cultic language. That's priestly language. Now, the weird thing about it is we're living. Sacrifices are dead. And he says, no, you are now the lambs. You are now the goats. You are now the pigeons. You are now the doves, whatever it is, that you act as the living sacrifice to God. You're presenting your bodies as living sacrifices to him that we're interceding uh, and interceding for others. So, that that's part of what I talk about in the priestly chapter. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really familiar and feels like it really connects with the language in Exodus 19 and that Peter uses talking about yes. like, the people of God being a, a priesthood. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, is it a? I always get these two confused: a royal yeah. priesthood and a holy nation. Sometimes I say a holy priesthood, <laughs> but I love that he, what he's doing there. You see what he's doing: royal and priesthood are taking kingship and uh, cultic imagery in combining them, which means, this is what I say to people, like I separate it into prophet, priest, and king, but ultimately those three um, offices come together too in Christ. Like they're not ultimately separated. They actually overlap. And when you hear royal priesthood, that's a kingly priest. How are you a kingly priest? Well, that's Adamic, right? Adam type imagery. Adam is a king upon the earth when he's created and he's a priest. In the same way, I actually think Moses was like a kingly priest. And David, you think about David. David did all these priestly duties. So you have, we as a people, we are prophets upon the earth. We are priests upon the earth. And we are kings upon the earth all at the same time. Because Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Are we, and we are connected to him. That's awesome. Andre, did you have any other questions about the ascension? Uh, no, that's really, uh, I know you have another question you want to ask. So you can go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I know in food trucks on in Babylon, you guys talked a lot about like urban food options and eating at different food trucks. And yeah. on this podcast, we don't do that frequently or anything, but we do talk about coffee sometimes. And I was wondering if you had a favorite coffee drink or you go somewhere specific. You know, I this is what I tell people. You're going to laugh, but I'm so post-hipster that I don't drink coffee. You know, I'm totally over it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've, I've never, I've never drank drank coffee because um 
I don't, I just have never gotten into it. And I know I could, I've actually worked at coffee shops. And so I don't drink coffee. Here's what I do though. I love to work at coffee shops. So I, I made myself start liking chai lattes, which I, maybe that's, uh, I don't, I, maybe that's not manly enough or something. I don't know. I don't really care. I just go in there and I pay for sitting there all day with my chai latte. And I've actually kind of gotten to like it because I would just sip on it. Like the first few times I got it, I'd have like three sips and I'd be like, I just don't really like that. And then the next time I got it, I'd be like four sips. I'm like, okay. And then next time I'm finally drinking them all. So I, I kind of like chai lattes, but I'm honestly, I'd rather just have water, but I feel so bad walking into a coffee establishment and saying, I'm going to use your table and I'm going to use your Wi-Fi, and I'm going to order water. But that's what I'd really like to drink. <laughs> so I order a chai latte and try to give them a big tip and say, thank you for letting me reside here. So in terms of Kansas City, we actually supposedly have a really good coffee scene and everyone's telling me about it because I've got an upturned mustache and uh, hipster pants on and stuff. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm so happy that we have coffee here, but I don't care at all. <laughs> so I, that's not a very good answer to your question, but there it is. All right. Well, we've maybe hyped it up too much for our listeners, but if you ever get a chance, you need, you need to get a peppermint mocha if you haven't had one. Peppermint mocha. That sounds very sweet. Kind of. It's, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> yeah, so thanks thanks so much for uh, joining us to talk about The Ascension. Uh, everybody should pick up his book. Uh, it's a very good treatment on The Ascension, The Ascension of Christ, Recovering and Neglected Doctrine, and uh, his other books as well. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Shiner. Hey, thanks for having, having me, you guys. It was really fun to talk to you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to our episode today, guys, and I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Schreiner. I know that Michael and I did for sure. So we're doing a giveaway for his book, The Ascension of Christ, and it'll be posted tomorrow, October 16th on our Instagram. You guys should definitely check it out and enter the giveaway.